Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 397 The Power of Exploding Stuff The city of Silverton was built over a hundred years ago. Its forefathers laid each lumber and stone firmly down to create a safe haven for the people. The foundations of the city had protected the people of Silverton from threats of monsters and wars. Yet, today, the once proud walls of Silverton laid in ruins and smoke as figures in camouflage ran through the city as they engaged with the forces of the Empire. Suddenly, everything changed as a bright flash of light burned through the city's clifftops citadel, and fighting along with the lower city paused as both sides turned to view the phenomena happening. The marines swiftly disengaged from their confrontations with the dazed imperials and headed straight towards the phenomenon as they knew that something was very bad was happening here. Same with the imperials and even joined the marines as they ran towards the glowing figure in the sky. Even the residents, hiding from the battle, crawled out of their hiding spots and stood with their mouths agape as they stared at the glowing being that looked like a god from descending from the heavens. Bow before me! His shrill cries of the hummingbird could be heard in a flew around the city, leaving behind him after images which brighter tracer bolts chased after it. I am eternal emperor. Varrican could feel his body growing stronger and stronger. It was a power beyond his imagination ever since he had gotten his hands on the artifact. He remembered how many years back and he and Dante were still young and reckless when they first ventured into the unexplored ruin. After finishing off a goblin and denizens living in the ruins, they found a temple that was filled with strange symbols and carvings of strange creatures and beings. An unexpected cave and dropped them both into another stone room where they found the piles of bones and gold. Out of a worldly stone statue with raised crossed legs and about two-fisted hands half-raised sat on a stone pedestal. The statue's head was facing upwards to the sky, deep, hollowed eyes and large dangling earlobes, and it wore a golden medallion around its neck. Marican and Dante decided to share the treasure they found for the medallion. They broke it in half, and they were, things started to make changes in their lives. Emboldened by their success, they continued their life of adventuring. They found out the medallion that they each possessed of um, had the ability to strengthen their powers for each creature they killed. At first, they felt like heroes to the people, doing the deeds in which the grateful people praised them with songs and poems, but soon came to the realization that even killing people would also empower them to make them young again. Drunk by the power of the artifact, the two of them soon fell into greed and conceit. They indulged themselves in the worship of the people and the wasteful lifestyle of luxury. Varrican decided to join the army of a warlord while Dante continued his way with his adventures. Varrican rose from the ranks quickly due to his power. He sought to kill as many as possible, which made his strength grow more powerful, and finally, he rose to the top and took place of his lord and became the first emperor of the Empire of Bluewood. Over the history of the empire, he had to feign his age and death, taking over the throne by taking the identity of his successors and sacrificing them to the sun god. A bare handful knew the truth, but all of them were dead by now. In two hundred years of his life, he was never met his match. The elder dragons bowed before his strength, and yet, uh, after so many years, this was the second time he'd ever had to use the blessing of the sun god to fight these barbarians. He managed to grab one from the barbarians with his clawed feet and jabbed his beak down into the chest of the barbarian. 
There was a loud snap of armor as the barbarian broke and his beak entered the soft flesh and sucked the sweet life's essence out of the living. His body seemed to enlarge and drain the barbarian. His body had the hat expanded in size as a large building, towering over the inner walls. He congealed the force of darkness out of his body and pumped it into the wilted full of his own blood mixed with the dark energy. And the limp body struggled and wiggled its body mass and muscles and changing and reanimated. <laughs> Varrican shrieked happily as he dropped the meat bag down on the ground with the artifact of the sun in his body. His body was both power of the light and the dark. After many decades of research and testing with his own body, he came up with an ability to transfer his own life force into the freshly dead, turning them into mindless minions. His original plans were to unite the new world, but this time went by. He found that he enjoyed the feeling of having a godlike powers. Hence, he came up with the bronze men as he had needed an army to replace his potential energy source. The bronze men were made from the blood of the concoction and of alchemical mixture. It could be mass-produced easily with his blood as long as he was fed well on life essence. Once he conquered the whole new world, he could easily harvest all the people in the empire and fuel his transformation into a god. The people would learn their role and how to honor they would sacrifice to the birth of a new god. Suddenly, a thunderous clap knocked him off his skies, making his magic barrier shimmer wildly. Offended, he glanced around with displeasure to find the source of the interrupting his thoughts. With his superior sight, he spotted a small group of barbarians huddled over a tube-like smoking object on the roof of the many blocks away. Just as he was about to sweep his wings at the barbarians, he caught a glimpse of a flash of smoke and hazily drifted off to the side to dodge the dart-like projectile flying at him at a speed that surprised him. He ignored the dart and raised his wingtip and was about to fling the sunblade when something exploded, knocking him down again. Load the anti-magic shell! The marine gunner on the tripod mounted 88mm recoilless rifle cried out to his assistant. The assistant slipped out the purple-tipped round head shell from the laid-out canvas bag and ejected the spent casing before ramming the shell into the open breach. Loaded! The assistant yelled. All clear! One round away, the gunner warned as he squeezed the trigger. The 88mm round burst out of the tube with a roar and the stabilizer fins at the rear of the the missile spun out the second later. The second stage rocket motor kicked in, super accelerating the missile to speeds up to twice its initial velocity. The purple color coded warhead was special. It had a guidance system mounted to one warhead and a fluid suspension gyro stabilized system. A magic rune was what used to home in on the magic signatures was carved into the system. The fluid suspended in the gyro-stabilized system was filled with 10 cc's of dragon's blood, which responded to magic runes and served as a driver for the holding missile. The magic rune easily locked on to the largest and brightest magic source it could sense, which was the hummingbird. The dragon blood which came from Restraz was attracted in the direction of the magic rune and was pulled towards it which in turn controlled the fin, swerving the missile towards the direction of the hummingbird, and dodged too and detonated when the warhead crumpled against the hummingbird's magic barrier. Varrican screamed as the overpressure from the explosion hammered his insides, despite his magic barrier being still active. The explosion caused him pain, pain which he hadn't felt for a very, very long time until today. He shrieked out in anger, and an unfamiliar feeling started filling up superheated energy waves of all over the city. Die! 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 He shrilled madly as he destroyed the city around him. Die! Holy fuck! 
Hitsu cried out in panic as he laid flat on the ground. He's going nuts! The hummingbird screamed wildly as it started with its wanton destruction of the city. Terrier stood up and ran forward. Come on, you want to live forever? Park, yes! Hitsu hissed as he ran after the rest, chasing after the mad god. I hate freaking gods. Major Joseph crouched on the side and peered at the rampaging creature. Is the special equipment here yet? Soon, sir, the radio man replied as they spoke to one another on the radio. They are coming, a couple blocks away, sir. Joseph nodded. Tell them to hit that son of a witch when they get in range. And call a fire mission to bomb the crap out of the skies, Joseph ordered next. Try to shepherd that thing into a kill zone. The teams of the recoilless rifles began a game of hide-and-seek with the hummingbird as they fired their weapons and ran to prevent it from getting dissected by the creature. The anti-magic warheads chased the hummingbird as he dodged them, and the only issues were that the anti-magic missiles had a limited flight time and turning radius, but when the missile hit, it made the creature shriek. Tell the rocket teams to try and push that thing towards the slope of the castle, Joseph said. Tell all units to clear that area now. Joseph kept watching the hummingbird was chased by missiles and rockets. It slowly drifted back towards the, over the wall and over the slope. Joseph broke into a grin when he saw that. Call in all mortars. Knock the crap out of the skies now. The rocket teams must be running low on ammo soon. Seconds later, the shrieks of mortar shells came overhead and splashed over the area the hummingbird was at. Smoke blanketed around the screaming creature as shrapnel flayed it. The overpressure of the air bursts hammered and the hummingbird all around it, and finally it fell off as if the air and covered head were swings protecting itself. Good, Joseph thumped his fist against the wall in triumph. The special weapons team here yet? Yes, sir, radio man called. Call off the artillery and let them get in there and kill the fake guard. Corporal Lorna half ran across the block to the ruined house, panting with the rest of his section. He toiled a heavy shield with a large tank on his back as he ran towards the explosion with the others. He wore a thick protective armored suit like the rest of his section and paused just at the edge of the explosion. has lifted, his section sergeant called out hoarsely from his mask. Go, go, go! Lorna hefted up his shield before him and charged towards into the smoke. As he cleared through the smoke, he saw a huge feather creature curled up in the feathery ball. Quickly, he raised his shield before him and supported his flamer against the side of the shield as he and his section advanced the line. Burn it! The special weapons section sergeant ordered once they were within flamer range. Instantly, ten nozzles dripping with flames roared out as the dragon's breath was washed over the feathered creature. The creature shrieked madly as the air superheated up around it. Its magic barriers flickered and shimmered in the bright colors as it tanked the flames. The hummingbird whipped its wings at the thin line as the marines and the sunblade slammed into the shields of the marines. The shields flicked and shimmered as the magic barrier enchanted on them howled, and the protective gear protected them from the heat wave. Lorna grinned inside his mask as he advanced forward, spraying the creature with his flamer. Burn! Baby, burn! End of chapter... Chapter 398 Number 1 Gun Terrier rushed up to the edge of the cordon to make the marines as they surrounded the feathery ball wrapped in flames. He frowned as he looked upon the scene. It was like a special weapons were doing the barbecue instead of killing the creature. I don't think the flamers are working, Hitsu pointed out as he watched the fiery scene. Searing heat flowed out in waves and kept everyone far back except from the team of special weapon marines who donned protective gear. No crap, Tyria turned left and right as he tried to spot the Major. 
It's a bloody champion of the sun god. Framers won't hold it down for long. Now where the hell is the major? He finally spotted the beret-wearing major and quickly ran over. Sir, the flames aren't working. No crap, Major Joseph replied in the same manner. And all our guns are almost out of ammo. Where's the damn railgun when you needed one? Terrier grumbled. Hell no, Major Joseph widened his eyes and stared at the Special Forces leader. And I want another danger-closed railgun shot over my position again. United Nations, City of Haven, Singapore, Fortress, Command Bridge. Sir, UAV is on its file four hours before RTB. The operation said under station. We will lose our lead five over AO. Blake nodded as he kept his attention under the display. He pointed to the screen, which is showing a large burning blob surrounded by figures. The flamers don't seem to be affecting it much. Intelligence Officer Lieutenant Tabor frowned as he considered the limited options. We need to change tactics, sir. What options do we have? Blake turned around and asked. Fire the rear gun, sir, Lieutenant Tabor replied. But there's no direct line of sight to the target. Blake said no. Do you want to punch a hole through the mountain again? Yes, sir, Lieutenant Tabor replied. Fire a couple bunker busters penetrators followed by the sabo shot at the target. Blake tapped his fingers on the side of the tactical plot until he turned his head to look back at the display showing the live feed. Guns, sir. The weapons operator manning the weapon station of the UNS Singapore replied. The weapon station of the UNS Singapore barely had been used over the years, making the manning of the weapon station a dull duty. What's the status of number one gun? Blake asked. The weapons operator manning the station quickly pulled up the railgun's diagnostic and readiness status. Despite not being used for over a year, the weapon techs had constantly conducted drills and maintenance. The railgun was even further structurally reinforced after the fully converted city class shipped into a land fortress. All status green, sir. The weapons operator replied after a short moment as his eyes scanned through the readouts. Three minutes to power up a full length, sir. Blake nodded and resumed his finger tapping on the tabletop before he said to the operator, Calculate for me a probable fire solution to the target. Lieutenant Tabor smiled as he slid a data pad over to Blake. It's already done, sir. Blake rose an eyebrow and smiled at the intel officer and shook his head in defeat. How come I get the feeling that you already predicted this? Lieutenant Tabor's smile widened. It's my job, sir. Blake rolled his eyes. I feel like more like you want to fire the railgun more. That too, Tabor smiled. It reassures our allies and scares the crap out of enemies. That better weighs psychological weapon than a railgun. One shot from the main gun declares our power to the world, Lieutenant Tabor said, and a second shot reinforces our power to the masses. The third shot should make the world fear us. Blake shook his head at Tabor's musings as he looked at the data pad. Estimated one minute and forty seconds flight time to the projectile at Mark 18. Tavar tapped a tactical plot table and expanded the map on the screen, before drawing a virtual line across the map from the current position to the target's location. He tapped on the spot of the map and said, The first projectile to tunnel a hole through here, the second shot goes through the tunnel and the rock. Unlike our first firing, Tavar pointed out, we have to bore deeper through the mountain due to its size. We need at least two shots to punch through. Sir? The communications operator called. The MEF is calling in to say that they are running out of ammunition and options. They are requesting further instructions. Blake sighed and gave an eye to Tavor before he turned to the comms operator. Tell her. Tell the MEF to hold off the creature for her. Twenty minutes before they are able to pull back at least 300 meters from it. Tell them to evacuate as many people as possible in that time. We're sending the railgun their way. Yes, sir. Blake turned to Tavor, who kept a smile on his face. Happy? 
How many cities and lives do we need to destroy to stop that damn war? Sir, being happy or not is irrelevant, Lieutenant Table replied as he kept his smile on his face. It's for our survival, either them or us. Damn it, Commander Ford would be happy with this. Commander Ford is currently out in the Goblin Sea conducting a anti-goblin shipping operation, Stavar reminded Blake. Have it, Blake said again. Comms, warn the city. We are firing the main guns in, uh, fifteen minutes' time. Weapons, Blake snapped. Sir, power up number one gun and run the lieutenant's firing solution, Blake ordered. Aye, aye, sir. City of Silverton. Major Joseph cursed as he heard the new order coming in. Fark! He quickly checked his wristwatch and cursed again before he turned to the radio operator. Tell all units to start evacuating the city now. They have 15 minutes to get the hell out of the city. And they are to help evacuate the citizens out too. If anyone doesn't want to leave the city, ignore them, Joseph said harshly. Tyria, you're providing cover for the special weapons team. Try and keep that damn creature balled up as long as possible. We're putting back. Why, sir? Tyria frowned. Are they... You got it right first time, Major Joseph grumbled. High Command is going to drop a railgun round directly on the damn creature. So while we're all putting out, you get to babysit the special weapons. Crap, Daria exclaimed. How long? You get exactly, Joseph looked at his watch again. 18 minutes and 22 seconds before it lands. Fark, Daria cursed and turned to his men. Follow me. The special weapons are to hold the thing down as long as they can, Joseph reminded the parting claim or one team as he yelled after them. Fark! Joseph turned and looked at his command staff, who looked nervous. Well, what are you still doing here? Pack it up and evacuate everyone out. United Nations, City of Haven. It was a beautiful afternoon in the city. The skies were clear and blue, and the people on their way to their businesses were suddenly surprised by a waiting siren. People filled the stalls and businesses as they stared at the skies as the city-wide broadcast announced, Attention citizens, attention citizens, the main gun will be firing. All citizens are to take shelter and keep calm. Repeat, the main gun will be firing in 15 minutes. All citizens are to take shelter and keep calm. The residents of Haven were prepared as they had performed evacuation drills before. They quickly stopped everything that they were doing and headed towards the nearest shelter. The police also helped with the evacuation as they guided people to safety. Some stubborn people still remained in their places and hunkered down underneath their tables or beds as they prepared and covered their ears while waiting for the rail guns to fire. United Nations, City of Haven, Fortress Singapore, Gun Deck Klaxons wailed as yellow warning lights spun wildly around the gun deck. Hydraulics hissed as a massive shields were raised up to create a barrier against the shockwave of the weapon. The armored turret came alive as the heat-dispensing shields popped open and the turret rotated on its axis and the dual barrels raised out towards the target. The rectangular barrels appeared to quiver in anticipation and the eagerness as the power flooded the conductive rails. The air before the barrels appeared to still as the railgun was holding its breath. A massive boom suddenly erupted out from the first barrel as the super-penetrator round screamed out, passing the rail round slicing through the air, leaving split-second of vacuum as it traveled at speeds of Mach 18 in seconds. The shockwave and barriers rattled wildly as the super-boom of the 155mm round disappeared into the center of the mountain, with a dull thud and smoke and debris spat out of the mountain. As the smoke and dirt were about to settle down, a second booming roar came from the number one gun and slammed into the rock smoke, which scattered the smoke away from another cloud of rock as dust burst out from both sides of the mountain as it was drilled through. 
A third roar followed next to the passing of the rail round, scattering all smoke away as it threaded its way through the tunnel made by the two bunker buster super penetrators. City of Silverton. Run! The marines banged wildly on the doors of the houses and stalls as they ran down the streets. Get out of the city now, before it's too late. The marines continued down the streets towards the gates, yelling at the bewildered imperial soldiers who were fighting them earlier and now warning them to run. The majority of the city residents followed the marines in fear and confusion as they ran towards the exit of the city, spooked by the sudden battle and loud explosions. Others remained behind as they prayed to the gods that they witnessed the manifestation that what appeared to be a divine being. The marines ignored them and only helped those that were willing to be helped. Soon, a steady stream of people was running out of the city in a panic and confusion. Turia quickly checked his watch and he kept his eye on the roasting creature from the skies. The flamers were rotating to keep the creature covered in flames as they conserved the flame of fuel. All right, pack it up, Terrier yelled to the special weapons sergeant. We got less than eight minutes to get out of the goddamn city. The special weapons sergeant nodded as he spoke into his comms. The men quickly set the tanks down and taped the flamer triggers down as they wedged the flamer nozzles down, keeping the flames spraying over the shimmering feathers creature as they prepared to retreat. Run! The sergeant yelled once everyone had finished up the setup. He started running with the rest. Get the hell out of here! Barricon remained in his stasis as he felt the heat cover him was transforming him. He had curved up into a ball, transforming into a sort of feather cocoon as his body started changing as he absorbed the heat turning the energy into a metamorphosis into another being. The flame spells that the barbarians cast upon him was unexpectedly a good harvest for him. The superheated flames appeared to be Moldy's body. He felt the power of rising in his body, the bones thickening, the muscles growing stronger. His body underwent massive changes. He could feel the heat around him slowly growing weaker and weaker, and his body broke out of its feathery cocoon. He hovered and stood there over the raging flames around him, he floated with his beautiful, colored feathers, arms slightly stretched outwards, and he took the burnt smell of his surroundings. He flexed his muscles, showing off his perfectly chiseled body that radiated with golden sheen under the glow of the flames. <laughs> I'm reborn! He yelled to the heavens, I'm finally a god! End of chapter. Chapter 399 Is it over? The 155mm rail shell traveled over a hundred kilometers, roaring like an avenging god. The passage of the shell shattered roofs and caused panic in all lives. Hundreds of feathered worms died beneath the shockwave of the overpressure caused by the displacement of the air of the hypersonic shell, while animals, creatures, and owls, both weak and old, suffered from burst eardrums or damaged internal organs. Those unfortunate died as their hearts seized up or had the ruptured organs and the super boom of the hypersonic shell slammed into them. To those without warning, all they knew was that a mighty echoing roar was felt throughout the world. The armor-piercing discarded sabo slammed slightly downwards angle right into the middle of the gold chest of a newly-born god-emperor. He's hovered in the air, unmoving. The lightweight ballistic cap crushed the impact on penetrating cap, then struck against the golden skin. The shock of the impact was distributed across the whole surface of the core's nose, reducing the initial shocks experienced by the core. The shell sheath surrounding the core then peeled away, and the core went in to penetrate the golden skin, puncturing through the golden skin muscles in the newly born god emperor. The frangible, high-density alloy of core fragmented into many high-velocity pieces, shattering the right collarbone and severing nerves and piercing through the right infraspinatus muscles before exiting.
But all that doesn't matter anymore, as a split second later, all the kinetic energy of the suppose was dumped into the area no larger than a dinner plate, and everything vaporized instantly. The force tossed the remains of the god emperor into the slope crack cobbled path of the castle and created a massive crater that shook the entire cliff before the cliff shattered and climbed down together as the castle came into the sea. The transcendental eye floating in the skies flickered briefly before vanishing from view. A hush descended upon the city as the roar of the hypersonic shell echoed away. What remained over the city was the smoke and dust thrown up by the passage of the railgun shell. The city's buildings directly underneath the passage of the railgun shell lay broken and shattered. Slowly, people emerged from the ruins as they stared up at the skies and destruction around them. The marines picked themselves up and ditches and declines where they had taken cover. Most of them suffered from one ear damage or but other than that, most of them survived without any serious injuries. They stood around looking at the ruined city with all the civilians who escaped with them crying out and screaming for help. The medics quickly provided aid to those who needed it, but mostly it was the children who were badly frightened and injured. Joseph pinched his nose and blew hard with his nose. His ears popped and he shook his head to clear the ringing tone. He quickly picked himself up from the ground and started yelling orders to anyone who could hear him. Start moving the wounded to the side. Those still there can fight, gather up. I want a team into the city to see if we kill that thing. The officers and NCOs started rounding up the scattered marines and putting them to work. Imperial soldiers and civilians were shepherded into one area while the wounded went to another. Medics and Imperial heaters quickly went to work on the wounded. Tyria rubbed his chest under the overpressure from the railgun shell had made him feel like he was hit by a truck several times. He coughed and gestured to his team to gather up. All right, we're going back in to determine the status of the Imperial Emperor. And can't we take a break? It's a wind. I feel like crap, like a damn muffalo sat on my chest and farted in my face. We all feel the same, Young said as he finished the heating spell on Wolf, whose nose had been a trail of blood leaking out of it. Stop whining. Terrier shot a warning look at Hitsu, who smartly kept his mouth shut and quickly checked his weapon. All right, gear up and let's go. They re-entered the city with a small battalion of marines as an escort. The city was filled with smoke as the shell-shocked people covered in grey dust wandered the streets in confusion. Everything seemed to be painted grey as the marines in Claymore 1 navigated the debris-covered streets towards the castle. They directed everyone towards the gates, telling them that they were healers in aid. Some of the people retained some form of sense, nodded dumbly, and stumbled their way there. Others remained confused as ignoring the words of the marines, sitting or lying down on the streets. The UN troops made good time, and there was no one stopping them this time. They reached for the last bastion of defense, and their surprise, they found a castle gone, together with half the cliff from the hill. Ah, fark, Tyria cursed as he stared at the rubble. How in the hell are we going to clear all this crap? Second Imperial Army, center of the front. Lord General! A messenger rushed to the tent, panting. I, uh, I bear bad grave tidings. The commander of the Second Imperial Army looked up from the map of the table and frowned. Gestured to his aide to take the message scroll from the messenger. What grave news? The, the city of Silverton has, has fallen. The messenger coughed. The, the, the Emperor, he... What about the Emperor? The General's face paled. What happened? The Emperor is missing, the messenger reported. The city has fallen to the rebels' barbarians. How is that possible? The general hammered the table. How did they slip past our troops? How come no one sold the army? The messenger could only answer. He didn't know either. The Emperor, he uh, used some kind of power. He tried to fight the enemy, but uh, something struck him down. When was that? 
The general asked quickly. Three, three days ago, the messenger replied. I came by the fastest courier dragon. Does the third army know about this? The general asked next. They should, because the couriers were sent to them too, the messenger replied. The general tapped his fingers on the table before he glanced down at the map. He waved the messenger to take leave, and he stared blankly at the map before he looked at his aides. Pass the order. We're pulling back. All forces to march directly to Silverton. We must find what has happened there. United Nations, City of Haven, Fortress Singapore, Conference Room. The whole room was filled with all senior officers of all departments, both physically and virtually. The atmosphere was jubilant as the officers had smiles on their faces. Captain Blake tapped a button on the display lit up. We now had confirmed reports of the 2nd and 3rd Imperial Armies falling back to the center of the Northern Front. The officers burst into a cheer from the news. Blake waited for them to be quietened down before he said, But some elements of the 3rd Imperial Army remain at our right flank. We will need to mop them up before the cause trouble in the future. You'll leave that to you, Colonel Frank. Blake directed his words to the virtual image of Colonel Frank, who bobbed his head in acknowledgement. Now, we still have yet to retrieve the remains of the Emperor, Blake said. We did find something in the collapsed cliffs. Match the thorns virtual image stood up and gestured to something off screen. The conference room display switched and the image of a broken golden medallion was shown. The marines dug this out of the area for the past few days and it was dug up from the scene where the Emperor disappeared. It bears a striking resemblance to the other medallion that we have in our possession, which, if you remember, was taken from the hero that we killed, Magister Thorn said. Now, if you look at these two images, the display split into two, showing the both broken pieces of the golden medallion. We can match them up together and they form as one. The images intersect each other and formed a complete medallion. If following the example of how the hero died without his half of the medallion, we can safely conclude that the Emperor, without his medallion, has died too. This time, the news of the Emperor's high chance of demise was met with a louder cheers and even matched a thorn cracked a smile. Now that the Emperor is gone, Blake cut through the cheers, we can take a breather. The Empire will most likely collapse into anarchy now that the Emperor is gone, Blake said. This gives us a breather from all the fighting and for us to build. The heads of the senior staff all nodded in agreement. The fastest we predict that the Empire will split up is in one year. Even so, we should be relatively safe for any wars for the next five years at least, Blake smiled. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad to say we won. United Nations, City of Orwell's Point, Command Center. Titania watched the men and women in uniform going about their tasks with a quiet professionalism and smiled to the soldier beside her. I really did not expect you all to win against the Emperor. Mills rolled his eyes and replied smugly, Come on, how can a small-time Emperor win against us? Titania giggled before she said, You and your nonsense. Ha! Mills laughed before he whispered, Well, now that the Emperor is gone, we're going to have plenty of free time. You and I got more time together. Titania blushed deeply and pushed Mills away. Behave yourself, you scoundrel. We're not married yet. <laughs> Mills laughed. How can you be so old-fashioned? <laughs> Another of your jokes. Titania turned away, walking from Mills. The Emperor might be defeated, but we still have enemies at our borders. Oh, you meant that group of troops? Mills shook his head in pity. They're so gonna get crushed when the other marine battalions get here. City of Silverton, the loud roar of the FB-1 Supermariner came across the skies. The flying boat did a loop around the city before it aimed its bow at the sea and smoothly cut through the waves and came to a gentle stop at the makeshift pier where the three other Supermariners were tied up. 
Major Joseph watched as the troop marines hurried down the pier to help tie up the flying boat before he turned to his gathered officers. All right, most of our wounded have returned. Now all of us is left. The remaining troops are to board the mariners and head to Orwell's Point, Joseph briefed the officers. Any remaining equipment or gear will be destroyed. As for food supplies, give it to the people. The officers nodded. But sir, are we not going to find the remains of the emperor anymore? No, Joseph replied, no time. Since word of the Empress defeat has spread out, the second and third Imperial army are putting back from the front and heading this way. So, we've done our jobs and a bloody good one too, Joseph smiled. So let's go home. The United Nations, City of Haven, Fortress Singapore, Captain's Quarter. Sir, Intel Officer Tabor slid a folder over to Captain Blake who picked it up and read its contents. I have a bad feeling about this artifact. Why so? Blake asked as he continued to read the report. Dr. Sharon and Magister Thorne have tried many ways to destroy the artifact, Tabor explained, but nothing damages it. Hell, we find our main gun and it and it barely shows any wear and tear. Yet, for some goddamn reason, it broke into two pieces. End of chapter. Chapter 400. Rise of a Nation. United Nations, City of Orwell's Point, Penal Holding Compound. Take aim! Fire! Gunshots echoed out from the back of the compound while prisoners sat around in defeat, uncertain of their future. The only looked up in surprise at the gunshots before minding their own business. The black-clad officer strolled up to the two hooded bodies, leaking blood, and fired his pistol. The bullet jerking the hood and the dark stain appeared. He repeated his actions for the next body before holstering his weapon and gestured to the group of prisoners to remove their bodies. Once the bodies were carried away, he waved his men and they marched off, leaving bloodstains on the ground behind them. Titania sighed as she watched the disappearing backs of the soldiers from the viewing gallery. It's finally over. Yes, Mills placed an arm on her shoulder to comfort her. Are you all right? I, uh, I don't know, Titania said in a low voice. I, I, I don't know how to feel about this. I know it's hard, Mills said in a soft voice. They were your brothers after all. Yes, Titania nodded. I thought that they would find something better in the Empire's capital. I just did not expect them to return with an army under, under the Emperor's banner, just for revenge. So people's heart is black, Mills comforted Titania. Look, you already had given them a chance to live, but they did not take it, nor did they change for the better. There isn't at any point to feel sad over them, Mills stated. You should just forget about them. I, uh, I know, Titania nodded. Come on, Mills pulled Titania away from the viewing stand. Let's go back. We'll go get a lot of work to do, and now that the war is over. United Nations, City of Haven, City Hall. Shireen rubbed her temples to see what viewed the stack of documents on her desk. She sighed as she picked up the top document and briefly flipped through it. It was something to do with the reconstruction of the destroyed property and money was needed. She let out a deep sigh again as she placed the document back to the table and leaned her head against the chair. Money, money, where can I get some more money? Did I hear you need more money? A voice suddenly spoke and startled her, nearly making her fall from her chair. Blake! Shireen growled as she placed her hand over her racing heart. Why didn't you knock? I did. Blake gave a smile at his flustered wife. You just didn't hear me. Shireen sighed deeply as she must have been too engrossed in her thoughts. Well, uh, we need money for everything and we do not have enough of it. Blake massaged the shoulders and kissed the top of her head. Post-war reconstruction and economy... Yes, Shireen replied as she picked up another document. We have a support standing army, reconstruction, replenish our weapons, medical payouts, civilian contractors' payments. All of these need money, Shireen said, and the prisoners of war, they cost money to hold them too. 
I know, Blake smiled. The BOWs will be released within a week, and for that money we need, we might need to get a loan from the Isles to recover our economy. Shireen shook her head. Getting a loan from them money-grabbing merchants, it's not so easy. I know, Bloke replied. I am planning on selling them some old tech and offering certain, uh, perks to them in exchange for money or a loan. We can't afford another war, Blake, Shireen said with a serious voice. Another war will bankrupt the treasury, especially since the laws you lay down don't allow troops to plunder the cities. I know, Blake bent down and kissed Shireen on the lips. We have already won. The empire will fragment into smaller states in a year or so, since no one is capable of enough to hold the entire empire. Didn't you send that child who's supposed to be the prince of the empire back to the throne? Shireen narrowed her eyes unhappily at Blake. Won't he be able to unite the lords and keep the empire together? <laughs> I purposely had Tabar release him, Blake grinned. I want to stir the pot more, with the supposed heir to the throne popping up again. The empire will be too busy trying to vie for the throne and recovering from their losses. Blake packed Shireen's head. With at least half of the Imperial Army dead or wounded, and supplies for three-month campaign for almost 300,000 soldiers captured or destroyed. They will need a lot of time to recover from that, Blake said. And add on which the Empire nobles eyeing the throne, they won't disturb us for some time. I won't be surprised if some of the nobles break off from the Empire to form their own nations, and even uprising amongst the population, Blake smiled. The more messy the Empire is, the better for us. But, um, many will die if that happens, Shireen frowned. Yes, many will die, Blake hugged Shireen from behind his spoken to ear, but it will not be our people. Goblin Sea, Goblin Sea Fleet Commander Ford stood on the bridge of the corvette UNS Goblin and watched the white stones of Bar Harbor appearing over the horizon. The UNS Goblin's sister ship, the UNS Slayer, kept in formation behind as they formed behind to complete the patrol of the Goblin Sea. The annual goblin migration fleet was so badly tranced at sea that they were even came to sight of the coast. The two purpose-built warships had exceeded the expectations of Ford as they had proven themselves during the baptism of fire against the goblin ships. Supported by the Navy fighters, the nimble sea cobras helped spot the enemy ships and did the rocket runs, sending her least a flirt of the fleet under the water while the rest were taken care of by the new corvettes. As they were fighting the Goblin Raiders, word came through the radio that the feet of the Emperor. The Navy crew, hearing the news, broke out in cheers and morale was at an all-time high. The crew performed especially well against the Goblin fleet, the guns engaging the Goblins well beyond the visual range. Commander Fort smiled as the ship slowed as it neared the harbor, a small pilot boat directing the warship to the dock of the naval section. Finally... We can relax for the next while without worrying about some insane emperor coming after us. The Isle, a council of masters, the group of fleet masters sat around the table and silently listened to the report being given by their retainers. The forces of the United Nations has pulled back from the city with those flying machines of theirs before the Imperial Second and Third Army returned. There is still no word of the emperor, the retainers said. It is highly believed that he is killed when the cliff collapsed, burying him under the rock. And what is the United Nations doing now? Fleet Master Megan asked as she leaned to one side, showing off a voluptuous figure. <clears throat> the Fleet Master cleared his throat and retainer blushed, quickly took his eyes off the female Fleet Master and flipped through the scrolls in his hands. They have sent their forces to chase down any remaining Imperial troops still in their territory, the retainer said, and appears to be starting a rebuilding of their cities. Just two short months, the Fleet Master Kose spoke. A force of barely 10,000 against 300,000 Imperial troops. 
and they won against all odds, said Koze. They are too powerful. Dijon nodded. That is why I keep pushing the council for us to be allies. Oh, and I thought it wasn't to impress that sweetheart of yours, Megan threw a snide comment. Too bad someone is married now. Dijon's eyes narrowed dangerously as he glared at Megan, who covered the smile with a feathered fan. If you don't open your mouth, no one will think you're dumb. Enough! Koze hammered the table as his fist and glared at the two fleet masters. Behave yourselves! After this incident, Koze said, I am more inclined with what Fleet Master Dijon has proposed, especially with the technology of their sailors' ships. It would be good to have those ships, Dijon smiled. Imagine the ability to sail into the wind. But the most important point is, they have a godly magic weapon that can strike great distances away at high-level spell. Koze spoke in a serious tone. We do not really know what kind of power they even possessed. It is better to be friends with a foe than such an opponent. The fleet master said. Akon commented. Their thunder weapons, or gans as they called them, already exceed our expectations. If just a handful of their troops could defeat the Imperials' armies, Akon's voice lowered. What can we do against them if we ever start a war with the United Nations? The fleet masters all nodded in agreement. They had read the reports and was even willing to discard it as fake, but too many of their spies reported the same thing. Hence, they had to believe the reports. So all in favor of an alliance with the United Nations, Jazon asked excitedly. The people around the table looked at each other before they gave their assent. Even Megan gave a slight tilt of her head in agreement. Dijon laughed happily. Good! And what of the Imperials who surrendered? Koze asked next. What of their fate? They have held those that surrendered or wounded as prisoners for several locations. The retainer continued. We still do not know what the United Nations plans to do with them. Holding them as ransom or a bargaining chip, Dijon asked as rubbing his chin. Will the Empire survive without an emperor to do that? Hakon adjusted his monocle before crossing his hands on the table. Ransom and sons and scions and nobility has never been part of the Emperor's duties. I'm sure the United Nations will send a demand to the Empire's nobility to start a ransom discussions. They should be able to make a tidy sum off the prisoners, Hakon said. What a pr- My lords! The door swung open and the aide hurried in. We got word that the United Nations are releasing all prisoners. What? United Nations, city of Orwell's Point, penal holding compound. Jutsa stood at the gate of the female prisoner compound trying to spot Seal, who had just separated from him, when they were caught by the rebel troops. The surprised prisoners, including him, were released and told to go home. They were handled by a bundle of rations and a small dagger before being pointed towards the direction of the Empire. After his release, Jutsa ran over to the camp where the females were held. He was worried that the rebels might hold the females as slaves instead. He waited nervously and finally saw a crowd of females approaching the closed gates. The guards swung the gates open and the prisoners stumbled out, some happy, some in confusion, and others wary of a trick. As before, several guards started yelling at the prisoners before standing over a bundle of supplies before telling them to leave. Jutsa finally spotted Seal within the crowd and waited till she had gotten her share of supplies before he called out to her. Seal's eyes started tearing up at seeing Jutsa and she rushed over and hugged him in relief, crying and laughing at the same time. After they calmed down, Seal wiped the tears away and asked, So, what now? Magda Zanaga is planning to return home, Jutsa said. He said something about freeing his people. For me, I plan to stay here for a while. Jutsa said as he looked towards the city in the distance. I, uh, I want to find news about my sister. Then I shall stay with you. And that concludes the end of the second book.
I hope that you enjoyed. Please note that this will be the end of the narration of the series until the third book is complete and released. But fear not, for there will be another series following this one in the same time and same place with a new story. If you wish to support the author of this book, follow the link down below and there will be ways to help out the author. If you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, but the easiest way would be to share, like, subscribe and all that YouTube stuff. It helps with the algorithm letting it know that you guys are interested and potentially bringing in new people to the channel. I will see you all in the next video and until then I hope you have a good one and stay safe. Cheers.